This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Welcome back to the Hot Stove. Thanks for being with us here tonight. Gary Hill, Shannon Dreher, Rick Riz. One of our last, one more hot stove next Tuesday, and then it is full-on spring trading. So we get a chance to visit with Justin Toole, the new Director of Player Development for the Seattle Mariners. Our chance to, our first conversation with Justin. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So before we go further, you have to describe what is the Director of Player Development. What does that mean? Uh, there's there's a lot that goes into it. Um, basically, just you know, kind of overseeing and and figuring out you know our, our player development system. So um, you know, placing coaches, players, uh, things like that. Kind of just overseeing a lot of the processes um, and things that go into the player development side. So um, fortunate enough to have quite a few talented staff members to help me along with that. Um, obviously, Andy's been in that role for um, you know a few years now, and he's still here to help um, <clears throat> bridge that gap and help me along. So. I'm just doing my best, uh, you know, to, to help the organization by developing the players. Um, you know, quite a few of them that have already made it to the major leagues, and hopefully we can continue to do that as we um, continue to move forward. As you get into it, what have your initial impressions been of, of what the Mariners have built in the farm system? Yeah, it's been awesome. Um, you know, I've only been here for a few months, and it's probably one of the most, if not the most, enjoyable and rewarding off-seasons that I've been a part of just getting to know the staff, um, obviously the opportunity that Jerry and Justin and Andy have given me is, is an unbelievable one. So, um, you know, just, you know, our coordinator group, um, our leadership group sitting down and, you know, doing our continued education calls and things that we do throughout the week um, in the off season was a great chance to get to know the staff, um, get to know what it's like to be a Mariner, um, the expectations and things like that. And, you know, going through that process, it's no surprise that, you know, the, the players that have reached the big leagues in the past couple of years, you know, the reason why they're there is, is the systems and things that are in place um, at the minor league level. So um, it's been a, a great few months, and I look forward to continuing to build on the success that that group's already had. Justin, welcome to the organization. Tell the fans here in the Northwest a uh, little history of Justin Toole. Where did you grow up? Uh, you know, how many you played uh, um, in the minor leagues a number of years, and how did you get this opportunity? Absolutely. Well, definitely uh, excited to be part of the, the organization of the Pacific Northwest. Uh, grew up in Iowa, um, kind of grew up in a teaching coaching family. Um, my dad was my high school baseball coach. Uh, he's been an administrator, um, currently is a middle school guidance counselor. Um, my mom was a teacher. My sister's a teacher. My brother owns a facility um, and is a director of operations there. So definitely come from a teaching coaching family. Um, attended the University of Iowa and then had the opportunity to play in Cleveland's farm system for seven years. I always joke around. Um, I signed as an undrafted free agent. I think I'm one of the few, if not the only one, that's never been drafted, but also never been released. So um, was able to play. <laughs> was able to play for <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was just a guy they couldn't quite get rid of. Um, but had the opportunity to play there for seven years, and then they gave me a coaching opportunity. And um, you know, it's it's one of those things where. Um, you know, grew up in a family that always kind of, you know, taught me to put my head down and go to work. And then when you pick your head up, you'll be in a good spot. And that's kind of what's, what's happened and kind of led me to this position. In the minors, you literally did everything. In fact, I'm looking at a book <laughs> right now. It's called Nine and Nine, Nine Life Lessons Learned from Playing Nine Positions in One Nine-Inning Baseball Game by Justin Toole. So you're an author too, right? Yes, yes, yes. You, you got to tell us about what, I mean, you, you did play all nine positions in one game. 
Yeah, it uh, it was it was an awesome opportunity. Um, <clears throat> looking back, it was probably the highlight of of my minor league and professional career um, as a player. Um, I was always uh, obviously not not being drafted. Um, I had to find a way to make myself valuable to the organization. So as a player, I learned to play as many positions as I could. I grew up as an infielder. Um, you know, growing up with with my dad as a coach was often around the game. So figured. You know, if I need to play outfield, I could play outfield. Basically told the organization, put me wherever you need me. I want to be as valuable as possible. And ended up having a manager one year that uh, that was new to the organization. He asked me where I, I could play. I told him I could play anywhere he wanted me to. So um, after a couple of weeks, he kind of looked at me and like, you were joking about that. He's like, we're going we're gonna to put you at all nine positions at the end of the year. And I was like, oh, I was like, that sounds great. And the end of the year rolls around. And he's like, the only requirement was I had to catch two bullpens and throw two two bullpens since I wasn't really a catcher or obviously a pitcher. Um, so went ahead and did that. And then he threw me out there. And, I mean, it was an unbelievable opportunity. The best part was our pitcher um, that night, I threw the ninth inning, which I don't know if our manager um, knew what he was quite doing there. But he throws <laughs> me out there in the ninth inning. Our pitcher had thrown eight like seven or eight shutout innings and so it was up to me to not blow the uh the lead or the uh the shutout and i definitely blew the shutout oh. getting back to back home run but uh we made we made it through so it was a cool opportunity to kind of um allow me to kind of showcase kind of the the grinder mentality that my career was as being the guy that gave a lot of our prospects days off and you know, played the day games and did things like that to help the team. So it was, a, it was a cool experience for me to kind of be able to showcase that for, for one game. In your research for this book, Justin, how many guys have done that either in the minor leagues or the big leagues? Oh, there's, there's, a, there's a few. Um, and it seems like almost towards the end of every year, there's always one or two guys that do it. Um, so I'm sure there's probably many more that, that have been, um, <clears throat> you know, publicized, but um, worked with a gentleman who kind of challenged me at the end of the year was like, you know, what was the highlight of the year? And I told him about that game and, He's like, you know, you should write a book about that. And I was like, okay. And he was like, but it's not about that. It's about life lessons that you've learned from playing baseball. And you can tie that into, um, you know, your, your playing career in that game. And it was just such a good idea. And he kind of challenged me and I'm a competitive person and kind of was like, you won't. And, <laughs> and ended up uh, sitting down and going ahead and doing it. So it was, it was a cool opportunity to kind of tell my story. I think a lot of people think um, success is very linear. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that have success that go through trials and tribulations and learn things throughout their career. So it's kind of a way to kind of tell that story while also kind of sharing some of my experiences. You talk about the trials and the tribulations. What's the toughest thing for a minor leaguer who is trying to get to the big leagues? I think, I think just the, the grind of the season. Um, obviously, um, with travel and being away from family, there's a lot of sacrifices that go into it. And I think the game of baseball is so tough just in general, just the nature of, you know, how much you fail, whether it's as a hitter or as a pitcher, um, and continuing to find ways to to build on the, the success and sometimes the little successes that you have. Um, I think that's probably the hardest part is, you know, baseball is unique in that you play every single day, so you have the opportunity to go out there. Um, whether it was a good performance or a bad performance, the, the cool part is you get that opportunity the next day. So I think learning not to ride those highs, not to ride those lows, and stay you know consistent and trust the process throughout the season, I think is is probably one of the toughest things. When you look at players that make it to the big leagues and have success in the major leagues, is there a common thread? What what is it? How much is it talent? How much is it drive? How much is it? the organization helping them along the way. What does that look like development? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I think that's a million dollar question. I, I, I believe it's probably a combination of, of, of all of that. I think you have to have a good mindset. You have to have a good work ethic. 
Um, you also have to believe in yourself. You have to, you know, have the physical talent, the tools to be able to go out there and perform. Um, I, I think it's a combination of, of all of it. I think, you know, if you have a strong organization with a good support system, you know, it helps those times when you struggle, um, turns those struggles into learning opportunities. And then from there, you can continue to build on the successes that you have. So I would say it's probably a combination um, of all of it. But I think more than anything, it's just the per- perseverance of, of making it through the minor league. Someone once told me, you know, it's not about making it to the big leagues. It's about surviving the minor leagues. <laughs> and it's just putting putting that time in, putting that effort in and, and going out there each and every day and, and, and doing it and then doing it the next day and the next day for 140, 150, 160 days. You know, taking a look at the Mariners system and what they've been able to do in the last few years, they, uh, they have uh, certainly, certainly produced a lot of pitching and very good pitching. And sometimes you look and it, it's... Um, it looks like the pitching has had the edge for some time, maybe to the detriment of the hitting, and you don't always see the hitters. And it's not just the Mariners. It's other organizations as well right now. I see you've got a lot of hitting in your background. You're a hitting analyst uh, at the big league level with the Guardians. What what can you take from that, and what do you look when it comes to, you know, not just de- uh, developing a hitter, but developing hitters as as a program, as an organization? Absolutely. I think a lot of people would tell you that hitting is probably um, the toughest thing to do in sports. Um, and so I think there's kind of that little nuance of, of knowing up front how tough it is to hit, especially hit at the major league level. Um, the cool part about, um, you know, being at the major league level as a coach the last three years is, is being able to experience the major leagues and, and see what that's all about. I think as a player, obviously didn't, didn't make it to the major leagues. So that opportunity for me um you know, you see that everybody's talented. You see that everybody struggles. You see that everybody goes through those ups and downs. And just being able to reiterate that message to the minor leagues, I think oftentimes, um, you know, you forget how hard it is to do something like that. And it's like giving the credit to, you know, the pitchers are out there trying to do a job to get you out. And as a hitter, your job is, you know, to try to get the pitcher out of there. So, um, you know, that experience, I think the, the different lenses that I was able to experience in Cleveland, whether it was being in the office or being on the coaching staff, um, you know, I, I think the, the, the hardest thing to do is, is create that pitcher hitter environment in practice. Um, so finding ways to, you know, put hitters in a game like environment, have them make the sw- good swing decisions, have them, you know, face different pitch shapes or different pitch speeds and things like that. Trying to replicate that, that game environment seems to be the best way to do it. And, you know, with, with throwing a ball overhand, the, the idea ideal pitcher is not always available. So trying to utilize machines and things like that is, is probably the best way to go about it. But I still think, as you mentioned, pitching's ahead. It's probably going to continue to be ahead, but I think uh, hitting's on its way to catch up. Busy with the uh, new player, uh, director of player development for the Mariners, Justin Toole. Justin, last year we had the pleasure of watching uh, Julio Rodriguez become the American League Rookie of the Year. Won a season, the slow start, but then he turned it around and, and had an incredible year. Uh, from the other side, what did you guys see from Julio Rodriguez? I, I'll go back to spring training. Um, we, we were playing um, in Peoria, uh, night game, I believe, and Julio hit a ball right center, left center, one of the gaps. And I will never forget, I'm watching the ball, and as it lands, I think I looked up and he was already rounding second. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was like you could see you could see the athleticism, you could see him fly around the bases. He might have had an inside-the-park home run, I believe, but just the excitement on his face and, and the energy that he plays with. Um, you know, we we got to see uh, you know him up close quite a few times last year. And, I mean, he's a true talent. And, and from, from far away, it was fun to watch 
not only him, but just the the team last year, the the win streak and the excitement, and then the fans and everything. And it's it's definitely something that that was noticeable um, from across the country. It's definitely something I'm excited to be about and, and watch much closer this year. When the season gets going and the Mariners are playing and all the affiliates are going, what does your job look like day to day? Uh, a lot of watching baseball, um, <laughs> which is great. A lot of watching baseball, but uh, just communicating with the staff, you know, making sure I look at my role as kind of being a resource for our staff and our players. So reaching out to the different affiliates, making sure they have what they need. Um, if they don't, then finding ways to help them or assist them, whether it's equipment, whether it's conversations, whether it's continued education, um, things like that. And, and ultimately, we're all working towards trying to, you know, make the players better. So um, I think you always keep an eye on the major league team and what they're doing. Um, obviously, from a director of player development standpoint, is like trying to make sure that the guys at the minor league level are ready um, for when they do get their name called to get to the big leagues, whether it's a guy getting called up for the first time or, um, you know, a guy that's been up and down, making sure <clears throat> the major league group, the minor league group are all on the same page um, in terms of the players and their goals. And then also making sure that the players are ready to perform and continuing to improve those goals while they're in the minor leagues to um, impact the major league team. I think the exciting part is the success that, that the major league team has had. Um, we've lost some people in the system due to trades and things like that that have ultimately impacted the major league team. And anytime your major league team is winning and, and in contention, it's it's important for the minor league guys to be ready to go when they get their name called. I'm going to take away from the Mariners for a moment. I'm wondering, what were you doing during the four-and-a-half-hour rain delay last <laughs> year at the end of the season against the Mariners? I think I took three or four different naps. Um, <laughs> and I, I specifically remember my, my wife and son were at the game, and they kept texting me that I should come up to the suites and hang out with them uh, for a little bit. But, uh, yeah, that uh, was was quite a game and uh, uh, ended up going a little bit longer than you'd probably want during the game as well. But, uh it's uh, one of those one of those experiences that you'll never forget. That's for sure. That probably won't be the last time. So if you have a sweet hookup when we're there next, <laughs> yeah. yeah, just let us know. That'd be great. Never gonna have a rain out here <laughs> since 1977, <laughs> Justin. We've never had a rain out here in Seattle, so you don't have to. I'm, worry I'm about knocking it. on wood. I'm <laughs> knocking on wood. I'm knocking on wood right now. Well, the dome and the roof, so we're gonna be in great shape. Hey, Perfect. you know this organization is so loaded with young players, and so many are here right now. So many contributed to the success last year, getting to the playoffs for the first time in a long time. Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, Cal Raleigh, and many, many others. Uh, when when you're talking with the young players, and you were that kid, you know, when you played in the minor leagues, what's your conversation like with these young players? What do you see? What do you want to hear from these guys when you have a talk with these kids? Yeah, I think I think more than anything, it's it's just having them get a chance to communicate with the guys you just mentioned. So so many guys in our minor league system. You know, I've, I've played with Gilbert and played with Cal Raleigh and, and Julio and those guys. So being able to know that, you know, they're their teammates playing side by side and now watching them, you know, <clears throat> try to win a World Series in, in Seattle, that's that's something that fuels and helps the young guys um, to, to for a couple of reasons. Number one, they, they know that they can compete at that level, um, but also they've, they've seen what it takes from those guys to be able to reach you know, the major leagues and those types of levels. So I think more than anything, you're, you're looking for people that want to win. You want to, you, you want them to compete. Um, but at the same time, like understanding that, you know, they feel like they belong and they, they want that opportunity and more than anything are ready for that opportunity when it comes. Well, Justin, thanks a lot for all the time tonight. It's great to talk to you for the first time. It'll be uh, the first of many chats. So thanks again. Yeah. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Justin.
There it is. Justin Toole, new director of player development for the Mariners. When we come back, we're going to talk some draft. Scott Hunter's going to be with us when we come back. Hot stove right after this. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. It is the hot stove or hot stove. I'm not sure if the V is there or not. Have we ever established that? I'm th- I think the title actually changes from year to year. It's roughly hot stove. Hot stove. Yeah. Show is gone. I think the is still there. Yeah, I know. But sometimes the show appears, sometimes the, sometimes just hot stove. I don't know. It's called the stove. Hot stove-ish here <laughs> every Tuesday, 7 to 9. Ish. Our last one coming up next week. Gary Hill, Shannon Dreyer, Rick Riz here. As we get a chance to visit Scott Hunter. Uh, Scott, we get to play our favorite game, and it is where in the world is Scott Hunter right now? Which really could be anywhere. <laughs> Well, yeah, right now, starting off in Florida, so it's getting close to my bedtime down here in uh, the yeah. state of Florida. <laughs> Keeping you up, aren't we? No, nah, not a problem at all. It's that time of year. Well, thanks for the time. Uh, we wanted to connect with you because, uh, one, you're always great to talk to, but two, with the draft coming up, the Mariners have three picks in the top 30, which is a pretty unusual situation. Uh, first of all, just how excited are you – given this draft for the Mariners coming up? It, I mean, every year it's a challenge and it's, you know, an exciting time of year for any scout because we become relevant again. You know, that's, that's <laughs> next, next four or five months. And, that's funny. You know, we're coming off our off season and, you know, it's, you know, we go into full throttle now. But, you know, to have the opportunity to, to get three picks and just pick, you know, higher and, uh, and have all of our picks and pick higher in the draft is such an opportunity, not only for our scouts to be driven, but just for our organization. Uh, we've done some really good things over the last five, six years we've been doing this together. Our organization's in a good spot, and this just gives us another opportunity, you know, to build for the future, which, you know, we've always talked about. We want we want to try to do this for the long term, not the short term. So this provides us a really good opportunity for us. So you mentioned a second ago, well, it's that time of year. And to me, I think that almost every week of the year, except for the one after the draft, is that time of year. I mean, that's kind of how I see it. What what do you do? What is this time of year in amateur scouting? Yeah, this is a busy time. I mean, we, we're always looking, you know, you know, the big phrase around here is, you know, work in the present, but, you know, always look to the future and, you know, during this time of year, it's just our busy time. For me, you know, travel-wise, I, I go from my down period, which means we're on, you know, our computers and we look through information. There's only so much we can do in the winter months. And then but once we get through the Super Bowl, it's it's time to go. And that usually means, like, this trip for me will be 14 days. I'll be down in Florida for 10. Then I'll fly over to Texas, spend three days there, head home for two days, and then go back out and do another 10 to 12 days and, and just be on that two weeks on, two or three day off routine. And even the two or three days off are really just to check in with my family and my wife and my one son. And, uh, you know, since my oldest is out playing and with the Reds right now, you know, stop in, make sure they know who I still am. Get a little <laughs> bit of break from, get a little bit of a, a break from the road and yeah. get, get my, my bearings going again. And, and we do that for, you know, four or five months leading up to the draft and, you know, it, it seems like a lot, but it, it, the draft always sneaks up on you really fast, and it goes by really quick. So you try to make the most of each day. What do you look for when you are seeing these players in person this time of the year, and how much do you allow for change between now and the draft? And what is real when there is change in that amount of time? 
Yeah, it's you know it's it's constant. We we call it like starting the book on players, and you know just over the last two days, I've been watching players that you know I'm kind of familiar with. I mean, we saw last summer, um, even saw in the fall, and then after the winter break, you you just want to see where they're at. I mean, nobody's really ready. And I said to our area scout um, down here in Florida, who I was watching the game with, I'm like. It's amazing. Like we're we're watching seventeen and eighteen year old kids in early February and expecting them to be ready to play when our major league guys aren't even ready to play and they're just starting spring training. So there is a lot of just just continuing to follow, give them their time, let them build up, and just really staying, you know, true to what we're seeing now, but being willing to change our minds as the season goes on. If a kid does make a jump or things do start to progress, because we see it every year. I mean. You know, you can't make decisions in February, and if you do, you, you're going to make a mistake. Scott, I love talking about uh, scouts and, and the job that you do. I think there should be scouts in the Hall of Fame, to be honest with you. You guys are the lifeblood of every organization. Uh, I, in the minor leagues and early days in the major leagues, I had a chance to talk with guys like Howie Hake and Ellis Clary, scouts that, you know, were scouts for many, many years. They had great stories to tell. They were, you know, a lot of fun. And my question to you, is there a, a blade of grass or a grain of dirt that isn't covered by a professional scout in this country? Wow. That, that, I mean, there's, there's real no secrets anymore. That's what, like, everybody talks about, you know, the and, when, and I had some really good veteran scouts when I broke in that, you know, they tell you about the days when, you know, you had to use the payphone to call in your reports and get out of your car. You didn't have... You know, they didn't have GPS. They had MapQuest, and you have to write down in a little book about all the different places they they would go and their their landmarks, so you would remember the next time. I remember for myself when I started in 2004, having a stack of MapQuest, you know, printouts of like, you know, where you're getting to and what field. But yeah. you know, there used to be days of like, you know, guys said, "Oh, the, the hideout player or the secret." I don't know if that's really a thing anymore. It, if it is, it's few and far between. Yeah. I think the real, real, you know, skill of what we do is, for the most part, especially with all the information we have on the internet, the you know, social media posts, all the different showcase events and colleges, and everything is more televised and publicized across the country. I really think the skill of what we do is, you know, we all know who the players are. It's just a matter of how aggressive you want to be on a player in the pool. And the skill becomes where you take them, not necessarily if you would take them. I guess scouts aren't carrying around the old Thomas guide anymore like they <laughs> probably used to. <laughs> it is amazing. I, I really, I, I told our, you know, our scout Bobby today, I said, I don't, I don't know how we did this job without <laughs> cell phones let alone like you know facetime and, and yeah. video call like just to call my my wife and kids at home i'm like mm. god it's amazing what the guys did in you know you know the early stages of, of baseball let alone 15 20 years ago scott is there anything different about the process prepping for three picks in the top 30 instead of just in a normal year like one pick in the top 30 does anything change on your end how you go about it uh i think it will change i mean you know, we're going to try to create value in every round of the draft. And I think that is what our, our goal has been each year is like, especially with 20 rounds is how far can we, you know, push this thing to, to make every pick we take. And everyone's not going to be a major league value, but it could be a minor league trade. Could it be a organizational player? Could it be? And over the last few years, we've had guys in major league trades from all areas of the draft. I think it changes more for where I'll spend my time, you know, with three picks at the top, I'll probably spend more time, 
going back on certain players, um, you know, second or third, even fourth time, just to really get comfortable with where we're at at the top because the bulk of our, you know, obviously our bonus pool will be with those first three, even four picks with, you know, an early second round pick as well. I know it's always talent, 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 but does three picks allow you to do anything different? Maybe take a risk or maybe target somebody a little bit, a position a little bit more. I think I think the the answer is D. All the above. I mean, there's so many options of what we can do. Uh, that's what you and Jerry and I were talking. Like, no player is really out of our reach. I mean, you know, the draft. I mean, we pick 20th in the country, but we do have a pretty sizable bonus pool with the three extra picks. We can play it straight. We can pull up the money and and go big for one, and maybe you know, cut a deal with somebody else to save a little money. There's so many options of like what we can do, but we really, you know. And I don't like to get too cute unless the opportunity is there that we just truly believe in it. And just to have that ability to have the bonus pool money gives us so many, so many options and that we haven't had in, in years past. And that's something we talked about this early, you know, when we found out about the picks, Justin Hollander and I were talking like so many years, there's been like those middle round, those comp, those first round comp round guys that we've been targeted, but we just, you know, we couldn't stretch it far enough or we just missed out on a guy that, we thought might be able to get to our second pick. Now we're kind of in the driver's seat to, to create some opportunities for ourselves just because of the, the amount of picks we have and the amount of money that's you know involved with those three picks. Visiting with Scott Hunter. Scott, uh, 2018, Logan Gilbert, a first-round pick. 2019, uh, George Kirby, a first-round pick out of Elon University, a high draft pick, uh, Cal Raleigh. Uh, besides talent, in your mind, what makes a, a first-round pick? Wow. I mean, that's, that's a really hard question. I guess we all, every scouting director and every person in baseball has a different view of what that means. And I think it's something that, you know, I talked to Jerry this off season and I think for the first time and, you know, where we can really look back on what we've done as an organization, I can say as an amateur scouting group, I, I think we found our way. As I like, you know, every team says we have the, you know, it's our way. Like, I think we have a Mariner way of doing things now. And it's not only the ability you know, find talent, but find the right pieces and the right kind of people that our organization needs and thrives on. And I think Pat Gillick said it the best. And one of his, yeah. you know, one of his quotes was, you know, when you have, when you find your best players or your best people, that's when organizations truly change. And the names you just rattled off are the kids and the players that are changing our organization. And it's one, their talent is unbelievable, but the kind of people that they, they are and what they value and, and what they're driven by each day all three of those names that, that you mentioned with George and Logan and, and Cal, they're driven by wanting not only to play in the big leagues, but kind of win. And they, and that's what I challenge all of our first round picks to our last round pick. The guy I call every one of them on draft day. And when we meet in person, I put that challenge out to them. I said, you know, we haven't won in 20 years, which now we kind of have, we broke that curse. Now mm-hmm. we broke that curse. Now it's like, Hey, we haven't been to the World Series. What, what's the next step for our group? Who's going to be part of that? Like those are things that we we talk about every day as an amateur scouting group. That not every player that we see that has great talent is will be a great mariner. Uh, you're talking about really next level too when you're talking about scouting that. That's more than just watching a player play. So how do you go about scouting for those kind of traits you're looking for? Yeah, you know, we, we do a lot of off-season, like, work. I mean, I mean, we're not on the road traveling, but we have a lot of these, like, breakout sessions and conversations. And, and a lot of it is just, like, the history of the things from our veteran staff that 
guys have learned over time or things that I've, you know, figured that I've learned and valued just from my time as a player and the guys that I've played with and against during my, my, my career, because baseball is not easy. You have to be wired a little different just to get through not only the minor leagues, but the, to make it to the big leagues, you got to love some of the, the not so fun stuff. And it's one of the, one of the things I, I always talk about and I've always, you know, told my kids, I mean, don't you, everybody loves to play. Everybody loves to show up on, you know, and get their four bats, get a couple hits, all that. But what, what does the player do? They love the work that goes into being prepared to play. And if they love the cage work, they love the, you know, the time in the gym, all the hours behind the scenes. It's like a good scouter, a good, you know, employee in any job. They're willing to do the extra to achieve greatness. And that's the hardest thing we do. And we challenge our guys to get to know the person, their background, what they believe in, what they're driven by. Like, are they the first guy on the bus or last guy off the bus? And, you know, first one to show up, is it a, like all those little things that go in, how do they treat their teammates? Were they driven to win a game? Or are they just driven to get drafted? Like there's a lot of little things and it's just constant conversation. And I would say the nuance of scouting is something that we really can't find on a stat sheet is finding out what is what the person is driven by. And that's what our guys have done an outstanding job of finding those those guys that fit what we want and expect and and they're doing it. They're making change within our organization and it's showing up on the field. Exactly. Uh, you want to find a kid. Do you want to ride a bus for 18 hours, you know, from Memphis to Orlando and and get out there and do what you need to do? Uh, Scott, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just want to ask you, you know, with with the draft now, only twenty rounds a short time ago was forty, and years ago was sixty. So, what about all those kids that would have been drafted from rounds twenty one to forty? Where do they go? How do you keep tabs with them? Because there's still some gems out there, mm-hmm. you know, that don't get drafted. Yeah, it's 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 that's a really good point because it's like we were talking, you know, over the last couple of years, it's like you, you're not going to find have the Penn Murphys anymore. Penn Murphy's a thirty third round pick. Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, it's unbelievable. Like Mike Piazza was a sixty second round pick. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of players that can still play this game at a very high level. And with the twenty round you know twenty round draft, it does. There's only so many spots, so it, it actually puts pressure on the kids that we have in the organization to to continue to progress because there are guys out there. There'll be in independent leagues. There's, you know, the major league draft league after the uh, season's over. And we do keep running tabs of like, you know, especially from our draft room, from the time the draft's over, the amount of um, emails and agent calls that we have about players that are still available. We try to keep our best to, to, to track those guys and see if there's any value. And we will sign players, but as we've talked about now and to our scouts, the, the standards have really risen because if you want to sign a player, it usually means somebody has to leave, well, you know, th- that we have in the organization already because of the, the roster limits and that, that have been set by Major League Baseball. Finally, Scott, I know there was one player in the draft last year that the Mariners were not going to draft, and that was your son. And he got drafted by the Reds. Uh, congratulations again. How did, how did he do? How was his first taste of, of minor league ball? No, he got off to a great start. I appreciate you guys asking. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a fun and difficult time last year because I had some people in our, in our some people in our draft room, you know, and he was coming off at a, a you know he didn't get to play his freshman year because of COVID, and then his sophomore year he breaks his hand, so he came out and really came on the scene and 
you know, we had some guys, especially our analysts, saying, "Why aren't we talking about your son?" I said, "Let's not go there." You know, just, there'll probably be there'll probably be a point in the draft I would start really considering it. But I was fortunate and just blessed, and that he, you know, he was taken in the fifth round and got an opportunity. But he went out right away, went out to Arizona, and got off to a great start last year, and uh, was invited to you know to all the early camps. He's been been in Arizona already for about ten days doing their catching camp and. I think they start early minor league camp tomorrow, and then he'll be in regular spring training. So he's off to a great start, and it's uh, it's it's a little I, I can take a, a little bit of a, a breath this year. Like I'll watch college, I'll watch college baseball more as just a scout now. I'm not a fan. Nice. Well, Scott, thanks for staying up late uh, for us. We really yeah. appreciate it, and. It's fun to talk to you. You guys, you and the scouts are out doing all the work all year long, year round, watching game after game after game. So it's fun to get some insight and all the work that you put in, you and the scouts. We appreciate it. Not a problem. I appreciate you guys. Thank you, Scott. There it is, Scott Hunter. We'll come back. We're going to visit with Daniel Kramer coming up next. He's down in Arizona. We'll have that chat when we continue. Hatback Bar and Grill at Soto's go-to spot for delicious bites and brews. Open for lunch and dinner every day. 11 to 10. Hatback is great for game day or just a night out with friends. Check out the menu and tap list at hatback.com. We'll come back with more Hot Stove right after this. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Welcome back to Hot Stove. Brought to you by Hatback. Gary Hill, Rick Riz, Shannon Dreyer here. As we head down to Arizona, I was going to say warm Arizona, but from all reports tonight, it's not so warm. As we connect with Daniel Kramer, uh, you can find all his work at MLB.com, Mariners.com. Daniel, is it true it's not warm? Stormy? What's going on? Oh, my God, guys. It was crazy tonight. (laughs) (laughs) The thunderstorms really got me. I... uh... I haven't experienced that in quite a minute. As you guys know, living in Seattle, we're very accustomed to the rain, but not necessarily the thunderstorms. And it was a torrential downpour on my way home from dinner tonight. But uh, hopefully we'll have some sunny skies here in the coming days as pitchers and catchers start to report. Yeah, what do you, as camp starts and you think about things, what's kind of the storylines that are going through your head as we start this thing? Yeah, I mean, kind of a lot, Gary, to be totally honest. Uh, The big one is, you know, how do they build upon another 90-win season and, you know, in the words of management, uh, possibly contend for an AL West title. I think that that was one thing that really stuck out to me uh, when we met with uh, Jerry DePoto and Scott Service and Justin Hollander a week or so ago at the media day was that, um, you know, just how publicly vocal they were about intending to compete for a division title. And, you know, those, you know, pre-spring training luncheons are all about optimism, but also tempering expectations, trying to keep the fan base excited, but also within a realistic scope. Um, And so, you know, this is my third year on the beat and this is the most ambitious that I've heard them speak publicly about that. And so that really stood out to me. So seeing how they can manage the course of a six-month season in the gauntlet of, you know, the AL West that's only gotten better. I mean, they went toe-to-toe with the Astros in the division series last year, um, even though they were 16 games back in the regular season standings. But you look around and 
Texas has gotten better. Anaheim's gotten better. I mean, the Mariners have objectively gotten better, too. So just seeing if they're able to kind of manifest all of those goals and ambitions and whether or not what they've done this offseason is enough to kind of take that next step forward and securing that division crown. So I know it's early. Um, you know, that won't be determined for another six, seven months. But uh, I think that's going to be the early narrative of uh, their 2023 season is to see if they can like really take that step forward and, um, you know, hang that banner up there for the first time since 2001. Daniel, have you had in and out burger yet? (laughs) (laughs) The real question. (laughs) Yes, Shannon, I did, but it was, (laughs) it was after I got my rental car, after I went and picked up my bag, after I went and checked into my place, then I was pretty hungry. So I did stop over (laughs) at the, uh, the bell road in and out. So, okay. Uh, I'm sure there will be another trip. Uh, When you look at this, um, it's funny because uh, Jerry DePoto said something in the pre-spring training lunch that really jumped out at me that, you know, game one this year is going to be game one. It's not going to be game 163. And they took such large steps last year. You don't just pick up. It's a new group. Things happen. What are some of the questions you have about what can they replicate from last year? I think the big one for me is being able to weather the storm because, I mean, you and I were both in the clubhouse uh, during the early stages of last year in like April and May and into June when things started to look really bleak. Um, And for us who, you know, analyze and watch the team every day, we were kind of like, okay, is the urgency there yet? We know that we're trying to balance this with the really long season, but you're starting to kind of tumble down the standings. How are you going to be able to pull yourself out of it? And so just seeing... I think those moments last year for me really differentiated the 2022 team from the 21 team where the expectations weren't so high and they were at times playing with house money and they were in a lot of ways, the darlings of major league baseball in 2021. And then they weren't able to replicate that early in 2022. I, it just stood out to me. I thought, you know, could we be on the brink of a really long summer or will this team find its identity and figure its way out? And so, you know, being in my second year on the beat, that was one thing where I just realized that, okay, what Scott is telling us, there's some credibility to this, that maybe there isn't always the most seamless transition, even though the roster looks mostly intact and you're returning a lot of faces. So going into 2023 is you have objectively a better roster. You've made upgrades at certain positions. Um, You didn't necessarily go out for those big splashy free agents, but how does this nucleus kind of form and how does the clubhouse create that cohesive chemistry to be able to deal with those adverse moments? Um, Because they're, they're going to come. It's a really long season. Uh, There are really big challenges. Last year, health was at times a concern, but not a major concern. I mean, their rotation stayed healthy the entire time. The injuries were to Suarez and Julio, but they weren't for extended periods. It's, it was more so that they couldn't like cash in um, offensively. And so how does the 2023 team face that adversity when it strikes and rebound, I think is uh, you know, one of the question marks that I would have. 
Daniel, uh, players get ready for spring training. Broadcasters get ready for spring training. For you and for, and for the writers, when you go to spring training, is there a list of stories in your mind that you want to go after that you want to write? Or, or every day you go to the ballpark, something is going to happen. Uh, how do you prepare as a writer for spring training? That's a great question, Rick. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's such a long season and it's such a long spring to where you want to be open to the dynamic of things and how things can change. Uh, I think all four of us were there last year when, you know, we showed up and we could see Jerry, you know, on a backfield on his phone and we knew that a trade was about to happen. And sure enough, that was for Winker and Suarez. But yeah, you know, you, you want to stay on your toes and you want to be prepared for when breaking news happens. But um, I love this time of year in the sense that you can really prepare. Um, I have an entire spreadsheet of ideas of things that I would like to accomplish and get down there and talk to players about. But sometimes you have to kind of have your head on a swivel and adjust on the fly. But this time of year is really great because, you know, everybody shows up in a good mood. Um, Guys are really open and willing to talk. Um, You know, not that they aren't throughout the regular season. It's just, there's just kind of like this magic of spring to where there's this refreshed feeling. And um, I think that it just, brings this wealth of content ideas to, you know, bring to our readers and our fans and everything. So um, to answer your question, yes, I do have quite a few story ideas that I'm eager to tackle, uh, but I'm ready just when needed. There's a lot of fans listening, Daniel, who will be heading down to spring training, maybe for a weekend, maybe for a week. And outside of going to Mariners games, which is the obvious, what else should people do when they head down to Arizona for spring training? Uh, well, I think, Gary, you can attest, and Shannon as well, and maybe even Rick, but I really like taking in the outdoors here. I mean, we are kind of cooped up in the Seattle winters where the sun goes down at, like, 4 o'clock, and it can be misty and cold, and so really taking in the sunshine. There's plenty of awesome hiking trails around, um, just beautiful scenery. It's just I think it's a really good time to – you know, put in the work and really grind and um, get ready for the regular season and get to know all of these guys and put in the FaceTime and everything. But like when you're not at work, you know, taking time to get out and, and enjoy some of those trails and enjoy some of that sunshine because Arizona has a lot to offer it. I, I really am glad that we're covering a team in the Cactus League because uh, <laughs> it's, it's a really nice time of year to yeah. be down here in the, the mid-70s, maybe not so much today with the rain and thunderstorms, but uh, really looking forward to that sunshine and um, you know getting out there. Who are you most anxious to get your eyes on? <sighs> you know, I think you know the easy answer is Jared Kelnick, seeing how he kind of, figures it out and tries to work his way into that situation in left field that they're committing to a platoon for right now and seeing where he kind of runs with it and what could be in some ways a make or break year, um, just given where he's at and he's only got one minor league option left. So I think that situation is really fascinating, especially because he did have so much hype coming up through the system two years ago. Uh, I'm really excited to see Marco Gonzalez and how he kind of 
response from a performance perspective after you know being left off the postseason roster I think that that was pretty clear in the weeks leading up to the playoffs that he probably wasn't going to be included just given that you know you don't really need five starters in a shortened series necessarily so especially since he has been here through the thick and thin of the rebuild and, you know, just the emotions he's shown towards the city and the organization and everything. And just kind of how he responded from that. But I'm also really looking forward to seeing some of these pitching prospects because this is the time of the year that we get to put our eyes on them. And we've heard all about them. Uh, we've read all about them, but we not haven't necessarily put our eyes on them and seen them out in performance. So really curious to see how Bryce Miller looks. Um, all the things that I've heard are really positive. And the fact that, you know, Jerry's come on you guys' show and hinted that, you know, maybe they would be open to breaking camp with their very 13 best pitchers. And if he's one of them, that could be a consideration. So that was something that jumped out to me as well. So him, Emerson Hancock, Brian Wu, I mean, obviously Harry Ford, he's not a pitching prospect, but, you know, I think they got nine of their top 30 uh, from their pipeline rankings that are going to be in camp. So just putting eyes on some of those guys and seeing a little bit more tangible results and whatnot, um, because this is the time of year to do so. Well, Daniel, thanks for taking the time tonight. We appreciate it. And we'll see you in just a matter of days. Thanks, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. See you soon. Thank you, Daniel. There it is, Daniel Kramer. We'll come back and wrap things up on Hot Stove. First, if you're planning on going to more than one Mariners game this season, you should. Consider a Mariners Flex membership. You can choose the games and seats you want all season long, plus save at least 10% on tickets and pay no fees. Mariners.com slash flex. We'll come back. More Hot Stove right after this. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hotback Bar and Grill. Welcome back to the Hot Stove. Gary Hill, Rick Rich, Shannon Dreher. Any final thoughts before we end the show? Yeah, I hope it's not raining when we get down to Arizona. <laughs> yeah. well, it's good My they're goodness. getting that out of the way. Yeah. I appreciate Actually, it. Actually, Arizona yeah, could you. use some rain, so that's probably that's not a bad true. thing. Absolutely. And yeah. then they can deal with the, oh, you brought and, it with you from Seattle. Oh, and then we could use some sunshine. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to getting down there Tuesday. Shannon, you're going, what, Sunday? Sunday afternoon. Gary's Tuesday. Okay, it reminds me of one of my favorite conversations when I first got down there a couple years ago in the grocery store and I overheard two people. It's like 70 and sunny, and yeah. I'm wearing shorts. And two of them, uh, there was like a cloud overhead. And two of them were like, oh, <laughs> oh you, no. just, you just never know where you're going to get here. I was like, what? You know exactly you where me? you're going to get here. Yeah. It's sunny every All day. Yeah. But okay. So, now, yeah. no, it's to be fair, 65 and sunny is completely different than 65 and cloudy in Arizona. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Good point. But we won't see very much of 65, so not. it's not an issue. Not. Yeah, it's going to warm up 75, 80, 85. We can't wait to see the guys get on the field on field one down there, see the fans down there, see Scott, the coaches, uh, the new players. It's always exciting. Well, thanks a lot to Penn Murphy, who was with us, Manny Atka, Sam Haggerty visited as well, Justin Toole, our first conversation, Scott Hunter, Daniel Kramer. It was a full show for Brady behind the glass. Shannon Dreher, Rick Riz. That's it for the hot stove tonight. We will talk to you next week for the final hot stove. Until then, have a great week. So long.